0: My teacher said I'd be a failure They called my mama just to tell her Oh, your son is trouble, there's no doubt He's never gonna leave this town Well mama, look at me now Catch me waving from the sky In a
1: brand new G5 Mama, look at me now It said that kid was on slack Real Talk with
0: Ben Tompkins, presented
1: by Four Roses.
0: As we say in the Ville, what's poppin'? What's poppin', baby? How you doing everybody? This is Real Talk. I am Ben Tompkins. We are presented by Four Roses Bourbon. Go ahead and just smash that subscribe button right now because the hits just keep on coming, baby. If you're just now joining the show for the first time, welcome, welcome, my friends. All right, good to have you with us. You picked a great deal place to start because I'm really excited for this one. I know I say that every time, but we're doing a lot of really exciting things around here, okay? Today's guest is Patrick Henry Hughes. And if you've ever driven past the OK Storage Building on East Broadway and Barrett Avenue, you've probably seen the hometown hero mural, Patrick's Louisville, right? That shows him playing his trumpet, he's in a wheelchair, his dad is standing behind him. And the more I started reading about his story and what he's accomplished, and and, and even now being a motivational speaker and publishing a book, having a movie made about him, like the more I'm like, oh my God, I gotta have this guy on my podcast. A true Louisville legend, okay? and he was kind enough to spend about 45 minutes with me right here talking about his abilities as he puts them okay and some of the challenges that he's overcome how he learned to play music at just four months old despite being born without eyes the sacrifices that his dad made to be able to be with him through every class every practice every game and then work nights at UPS get three hours of sleep every night and do it all again the next day now Repeat that for five years. You want to talk about sacking up and having a lunch pail hard hat work ethic? Good God, man. All right, so I ask him about what those years were like for them and what uh, the system was like that him and his dad developed to be in sync with the band during the practices and games. I ask him about his book, I Am Potential, Eight Lessons on Living, Loving, and Reaching Your Dreams. And he shares a couple of those lessons with me, what it was like to have a movie made about his life. I mean, what's that like, right? And most importantly, Being more than you think you can be and how to readjust your perspective and shift your focus when your dreams sometimes turn out differently than you initially envisioned okay? His book, I Am Potential, Eight Lessons on Living, Loving, and Reaching Your Dreams, is for sale on Amazon. You can also watch his movie, I Am Potential, on Amazon Prime Video for free if you're not a plebe and you have Amazon Prime, okay? Shots fired, all right? Uh, For you country music fans out there, Patrick hosts his own show and podcast. It's called country through the years, and he drops new episodes every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern at 986themix.com, okay? So we're going to jump in with Patrick in just a second, but first, I want to also let you guys know about the next couple of guests that I got coming up in the next couple of weeks, because we're rolling, baby. The hits just keep on coming, all right? Next week, Gustavo Rossetti, CEO of Liberationist. He is a motivational speaker. He's the author of the book Stretch for Change. And stretch your mind. He joins the show next week to talk about the principles in his books liberating yourself and getting out of your own way, overcoming perfectionism. I'm going to buy these books and read them before we speak next Wednesday. And we're going to go really deep on a lot of the topics in his books so that when I drop the podcast next Thursday, you guys are really going to be able to get a lot from that. I hope. I hope. Okay. And then two Thursdays from now, Matt Plummer is the founder and CEO of a company out in the Bay Area called Zarvana, and he's going to join the show. Matt is a productivity coach, and he's a regular contributor to Harvard Business Review, and his company, Zarvana, is an online platform that teaches people how to boost their productivity, save time, and improve performance by positive habit formation, making small changes in our daily routines, stuff like that. All right, So we're going to talk uh, to him about how to avoid burnout in our careers and our marriages our relationships uh school sports whatever right uh how to like make a to-do list and and actually cross things off of that as we go like how to make a realistic to-do list right not just climb Mount Everest and then get bummed out when we haven't checked that off I mean that's a pretty hard one but like how to actually make a to-do list and all other kinds of helpful tips and topics, so that hopefully anybody that listens to that is going to be able to find some new ways or, uh, to tap into their potential. Okay, and I, I'm I'm thinking about doing this. What I may start doing here in the next, I don't know, three or four weeks. At, at some point in the next month, I might start doing this, where I start dropping two episodes a week. Okay, so typically I'm doing the interviews on and uh, new episodes on Thursdays, but I'm realizing that I you know I, I don't necessarily know if I want to keep the Uber stories and sports takes and and uh, another segment that I'm planning on doing and putting those at the end of these interviews because I I don't I don't know it's just like the the Uber stories they don't they don't you know sometimes they're not going to really line up with uh, the 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 vibe of these interviews sometimes okay and so what I may start doing is doing the interviews on Thursdays and then maybe like on Mondays, um, you know, telling the Uber stories and and some sports takes and uh, uh, worst takes of the week from WDRB's comment section. I'm going to start calling some people out. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait, okay? And uh, doing those maybe on Mondays or something like that. But um, I don't know, kind of playing with that idea. I just, like, the last one, uh, at the end of the Jason Durking interview, I did a couple of Uber stories, and I kept on thinking to myself, you know, th- this is like, that was a great interview, and now I'm like getting a little bit more risque with some of these stories and so maybe I should just like have that be a standalone thing and kind of separate the two and just just do it like that so I don't know still playing I mean look we're still in the infancy stages of this thing we're growing it I'd love it um thank you for joining us I'm glad to have you with us okay the last thing before we jump into this interview with Patrick if you are enjoying these as much as I'm enjoying doing them, okay please 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 let me know about it, all right? I welcome the feedback, my friends. That shit makes my day when I notice a new rating or a review on the Apple podcast page, or I see somebody retweeting this or sharing it on their Facebook timeline. Like That, to me, is the greatest form of validation at this point, because it lets me know, A, you're listening, but B, that something in there stuck with you. Something struck you so deep that you felt that others needed to hear it as well. And that, I can't thank you for enough. So please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We are on SoundCloud. Follow along with me on Twitter and Instagram at BennyTomp18. Like the show page on Facebook at Real Talk And keep sharing these with anyone you think would find these interviews useful, inspiring, or just cool cuz i i think they're pretty cool but hey, you know, maybe i'm a little bit biased. Anyways, i'm done selling. All right, without further ado, here is my man Patrick Henry Hughes. I am joined now by Patrick Hughes. Patrick, how are you doing today?
1: Doing great, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm doing very well. So here is, here is the why. Um, I was driving around the city, and I saw some of the hometown hero murals. And I, I saw one that I didn't know this person. And I thought to myself, shame on me. I'm from this city. I grew up in this city. And I don't know some of the people on these murals. And I had remembered your story a little bit, but I, I made it a point to say, okay, you know what? I want to reach out to all of the people who are living that have these murals. And as I started to read more about you and your story, I thought, well, this is somebody that I should definitely have on. And so um, thank you so much for sitting down to talk with me. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you and look forward to, to talking with you as well.
0: So, your mural shows you during your time with the University of Louisville Marching Band, which I'm I'm sure, like, at some point in your life, people probably said, you know, you said, I I, want to be in in the marching band. People said, oh, you're crazy. That's impossible. It'll never happen. So, for people listening who are not familiar with your story, like, why would people have said that's impossible?
1: Well... To tell the truth, we actually were, uh, my my dad and I were actually amazed at that as well. Of course, I was born with a condition called bilateral anophthalmia. That means the absence of eyes. They just didn't develop and really no explanation as to why. Also born with a syndrome called pterygius syndrome, which is a webbing of my joints at the elbows and the knees, which prevents me from completely straightening my arms and legs and, uh, because of that and also congenital hip dysplasia, I use a wheelchair for mobility. So yeah, I guess I can kind of see people looking at me and thinking, you know, how am I going to be a member of the marching band? And of <laughs> course, I was a little shocked too. My, my original goal was to be a member of the University of Louisville Pet band as a trumpet player in their band. But we went and spoke with Dr. Greg Byrne, the band director and, he had a requirement that in order to be in the pep band during the spring, you had to be a member of the marching band during the fall. And of course my dad went with, went with me to the meeting and we're sitting there thinking, yeah, I'm going to be a member of the marching band. I'm blind <laughs> and unable to walk dream on. And <laughs> we actually had every intention of trying to get out of marching band and just being in the pep band. But in the end, Uh, Dad actually procrastinated. And next thing you know, it's time for band camp, which means 10 days before classes are due to start. And I decided he hadn't written a letter. We hadn't done anything about it. They're expecting us. And so we ended up doing that first day of band camp. And dad's going with the mindset that nothing's going to inspire him to write that letter more so than actually being out there doing all this and then I'd gotten some local TV coverage here in the city of Louisville before then, what with my performances and things like that at local telethons and fundraisers and things of that nature. And they plastered on the six o'clock news that I was gonna be a member of the marching band. And everyone was really excited because now they were gonna have an excuse to stay and watch the band perform at halftime. And uh, well, (laughs) With that, we pretty much made it happen, had five excellent seasons, and truly the credit does go to Dr. Byrne, who saw me more or less not as a blind kid in a wheelchair, so to speak, but a trumpet player that, would, that he would love to have in his band, and I was definitely thrilled to be a part of it for five wonderful seasons.
0: Were you in band in high school?
1: I was actually in band in high school. I was in marching, pep, and concert band because there I'd wanted to be in the concert band, but their requirement was in order to do that, you had to be a member of the marching band and the pep band. See, I was a little more open to the whole marching band thing because during (laughs) high school for marching band, I just sat on the sidelines and played my instrument and some of the bigger instruments sat on the sidelines with me or perhaps there was someone who had recently suffered an injury that couldn't march so they were on the sidelines and at first I kind of thought that that's what college was going to be like you know I'd just sit on the sidelines and play my instrument I wouldn't have to do you know the 8 a.m to 8 p.m band camp every day all day you know just show up for the music part of the rehearsal there'd probably be rehearsals I'd be excused from because all they were going to do was march but definitely a thrill to actually be out there on the field playing and marching along with everyone else
0: and your dad helped you that whole time maneuver and what was that like having him at practices and at the halftime performances of games
1: it was absolutely great you know he did an excellent job and it was great to have someone that i could trust and that we knew each other well and definitely had a a great five seasons of course it was a little scary you know nothing nothing that he did the the scariest part of it all was the fact that the way my wheelchair is built it's good for concrete tile wood hard surfaces like that but when you get onto turf and grass and things like that then well the back wheels are good like if we marched backward that was okay because we would the bigger back wheels would go first. But during a forward movement, the wheels would dig into the turf and sometimes stop the chair cold. And usually when we're traveling on surfaces like that, I like to sort of hang on to my wheelchair's armrests and sort of that keeps me secure in the seat and things of that nature and unfortunately, you can't do that and hold and play a trumpet at the same time. So we would actually come home after the first few days of band camp, trying to find solution after solution to get the wheelchair to move better on the field. And in the end, dad had a friend who helped adapt some turf tires, as we call them onto my wheelchair, which we got (laughs) off an old wagon and had pretty much had uh, that helped me stay in my seat better and lean the wheelchair back a little more and help to give us once again five truly excellent seasons.
0: And you really had some good seasons there as well because the football team, I think that was right around Brian Brom and Michael Bush were, were there, right? I mean, you guys were going to the Orange Bowl at that point.
1: That is true. Uh, unfortunately, that was the year that Michael Bush suffered the really bad injury in the game, I think against uh, UK. And, but that year, we, we did go to the Orange Bowl in January of 2007, and that was a lot of fun being out there in sunny Miami while uh, all my friends and family were in cold, snowy Louisville, so to speak. <laughs> and then uh, so we did that my freshman year, and then uh, unfortunately didn't make it to a bowl game for the next three years. But then during my final season, we went to the uh, St. Petersburg Bowl, which was a lot of fun also.
0: So when did you start playing music and and how did you learn because if you're born without eyes you know how did how difficult was it for you to learn how to play music?
1: Well, it all started when I was about four months old. one day when I was around that age, my dad was taking care of me while my mom went out and, and did uh, some activities that she wanted to do and being a new dad, you know, he did everything that he knew to do. He fed me, changed me, but for whatever reason, I just would not stop crying. So he he actually was a music major himself. He majored in violin and minored in piano, and we actually happened to have a piano in our house at the time, and so not knowing what else to do, he laid me up on top of the piano and started to play. And to this day, we don't know whether I liked it or what, but I immediately got quiet. And we look back on it, now we think maybe it just brought me to a whole new level of terror. <laughs> but but that, that would always work, no matter what, for the, for the rest of the time when I was little. If I was upset and crying, they just laid me up on top of the piano and Dad would play and I got quiet. So when I was about nine months old, assuming that I liked it, of course. Dad took the tray off of this old wooden high chair and put it up in front of the piano. And the high chair was surrounded on all sides, so I wouldn't go anywhere. And then, of course, the piano was in front of me, so I couldn't fall forward. And he thought, you know, I'd enjoy beating on the keys and seeing how many I could hit at once and how loudly I could play. But I always played with one finger, sort of finding out what note made what sound, so to speak. And one of my earliest memories of the piano is the particular piano that I first learned to play on. Some of the sounds, for some reason, would remind me of different voices that I would hear. For example, some of the keys would remind me of the voices of my parents or my grandparents or maybe a voice I would hear in a public place. And that's pretty much how music started for me.
0: And then what age were you when you started to actually be able to to play different pieces, you know, like like a like a Beethoven or a Bach or something like that? like how old was 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 that in in your career?
1: Well, probably by the age of two, I would say I was able to play all my little uh, nursery rhyme tapes and things of things like that from front to back, so to speak. And then I probably started studying classical music, of course, with some of the tapes, my parents tried to get me into different kinds of music. So I had a little bit of classical exposure, but I started studying classical music probably at around the age of five or six. My dad taught me piano for the first few years of my life. And then about that time I had, my brother Jesse was born and my brother Cameron was on the way and it was, you know, with everything that I was doing and my brothers were doing and dad was doing with his job, you know, it just kind of became difficult for him to teach me. So he found a piano teacher who is actually also blind. You know, you hear the old expression, the blind leading the blind usually doesn't have a good connotation, but this lady was an excellent teacher. And she started working with me on classical repertoire and things of that nature until I was about 10. And then I took off for a while to because I underwent a back surgery to correct scoliosis and so was unable to sit up and play piano for a time. And when I was ready to get back into it, this particular lady said, you know, hated to do it, but said that she'd taken me as far as she could and I needed to find somebody else. So we were shopping for pianos. And we came across another wonderful lady who was actually a Juilliard graduate who taught me piano for, I guess, maybe about 20 or so years of my life and taught me some more advanced classical repertoire and once again was truly an awesome teacher.
0: And then what age were you when you started to pick up the trumpet?
1: I was nine years old and had pretty much become more or less familiar with the piano and being able to sing and things like that. And so with that in mind, I thought, well, maybe I'd like to experiment with another instrument and see what that would lead to. And I think these days it's mandatory, but when I was in elementary school, it was voluntary. You could volunteer to be in either the band or the orchestra. And Mm -hmm. I couldn't do the orchestra because the way my arms are unable to completely straighten and thus, unable to make certain movements required to hold and play a stringed instrument. I couldn't play a stringed instrument, but I was okay with band. Now, when I joined the band, I originally wanted to play the drums because I was particularly interested in the metallic percussion instruments, things like cymbals and tambourines, bells, things like that. But with a drum set, you have to move your body in certain ways to hit more than one drum at once and unfortunately my body can't make those movements and then there's also these foot pedals you have to hit to be able to operate the bass drum and the hi-hat cymbals which I really couldn't reach so my parents gave me the trumpet because well it's made of metal and both of them can actually play a little bit. My mom played the trumpet in her high school band and dad picked up trumpet from his older brother who was a member of the University of Louisville pep band, so they figured they could work together with me on it and teach me the the basics, so to speak. And it's been a great ride ever since.
0: So, why marching band? I mean, is that something that you always knew that you wanted to do, and and you looked at U of L and said, "This is where I want to go," or like how how did you land on U of L? Well,
1: for a variety of reasons, we looked at three different colleges. We looked at. Belmont in Nashville because I'm really big into country music and I know a lot of country music singers graduated from Belmont and thought it would be really cool to go to that college and perhaps pick up some country music knowledge. Perhaps. And then we also looked at a private college in Louisville called Bellarmine, but Mm. for a variety of reasons, we chose the University of Louisville and as I mentioned earlier, my main goal with the University of Louisville was to be a member of the pep band, because even before I'd made the decision on U of I'd gone to several of their basketball and volleyball games, either to sing the national anthem or to be a guest of the coaches and sit on the bench during the game. And while I was there, I heard the pep band playing, and I thought, they really sound like they're having a lot of fun. I'd really like to be a part of that. And then, as I mentioned, we'd gone and spoken with Dr. Byrne, who said that in order to be in the pep band, you had to be a member of the marching band because, well, everybody really wants to be in pep band. It's during the spring. It only met one day a week for about 50 minutes a day. And you got to go to the basketball games and play. And if if the team did really well, you might get to go to the Final Four and the games were in heated or air conditioned freedom hall. And, uh, but, but marching band during the fall semester is, well, a little bit harder work. As I mentioned, the band camp that meets first every uh, 10 days before classes are due to start, they meet from 8 AM to 8 PM under a baking hot August sun. <laughs> and it's, and it's actually two, it's a four credit course. So, we met every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, two hours a day from 4.30 to 6.30. And then for game days, the marching band had to be at the stadium five hours before kickoff. So if it was a noon kickoff, yep, we had to be there at seven o'clock in the morning to Mm. polish instruments. And we played for the team as they came into the stadium. And We played for the tailgaters and things of that nature. And then, unfortunately, the marching band is also the last to leave the stadium because we stay for the whole game and play for the team one more time as they exit the stadium. So, yeah, like I said, everyone wanted to be in pep bands. So Dr. Byrne made a requirement that in order to be in the pep bands, you had to be in the marching band as well. And thank goodness he did, because marching band was truly a lot of fun. It was always great being out there with 40 or 50,000 screaming fans, knowing that whether we win or lose, we're all going to have a great time.
0: Do you still keep up with Dr. Byrne?
1: We still keep up with him periodically, and he seems to be doing okay. Of course, uh, he's no longer marching band director, but I think as of Last I heard, he's now the director of percussion at UofL, as percussion's kind of his forte, so to speak.
0: Now, during the time that you were at L, your dad made some pretty big sacrifices. Uh, what did those years look like for him?
1: I know they were really tough, and it was interesting because we truly drew inspiration from each other because, admittedly, there were days where I didn't want to get up and go to classes or it had been a long day already and the weather wasn't so great outside. Why did I have to endure that two hour marching band rehearsal? I would rather have been sitting in my nice heated or air conditioned house getting through that homework assignment that I really didn't want to do in the first place. But then at the same time, my dad was working the graveyard shift for a major packaging company and all I had to do is look at what he was doing. He was going to classes with me every day and doing those marching band rehearsals. And yes, sometimes he even had to help me out with homework. And he was doing all this on maybe three, four hours worth of sleep a night, whereas here am I getting a good night's sleep every night and doing this. So why should I complain?
0: (laughs) It did did they give him a course? I mean, I feel like he should have gotten some course credits for for uh, sitting in class and doing some of the homework and stuff, right?
1: Uh, they they talked about it, but unfortunately, I don't think that ever actually happened. But but <laughs> definitely definitely good to have him sitting in class with me and helping me out and all all that great stuff.
0: What, was anybody ever mean to you or or like make fun of you? Like, why is your dad here in class with you?
1: Not at all. Everyone was very, very embracing to me and my dad, you know, would help us both out if need be, especially with the with the marching band, because it was actually interesting as we were learning the formations. Dad often likes to tell the story that as we were learning the formations, he would recognize the faces of the people that he was supposed to be sitting next to or marching next to but then during the games, we all had to wear these big uniforms, these jackets and hats and gloves, and you know, you recognize, you know, the beards and the, <laughs> you know, maybe the earrings and things like that. But during game days, it was required that we were all clean shaven, no piercings, nothing like that. And so basically, all you could see through the uniform was this little bit of face. And that first game, Dad was a little nervous about that didn't realize what to do, but thankfully the people that he was supposed to be next to would very, very subtly take their hand away from their instrument and sort of point dad in the right direction. And they did a lot of great stuff with me as well. As a matter of fact, one of the first days of band camp, we were doing an indoor rehearsal, just going over the music that we were supposed to learn. And I guess the trumpet player sitting next to me would uh, Noticed that I wasn't turning my music and I guess didn't realize I couldn't see it and so would turn the music for me and and then sometimes the band director would say something like okay we're going to start at this part of the song and I could turn to the person next to me and say okay where is that and they would sing a little bit for me and then probably one of the, the best things is as part of our pregame show every year we would do a selection of patriotic songs and right before we started that the drum major would raise their arms ever so slowly to signify that we were to raise our instruments in that slow speed as well and the band came up with this really awesome idea that while the drum major would do that that they'd make this little sort of noise to kind of help me know exactly when to raise my instrument and in what rhythms. So all the students truly were great.
0: More with Patrick in a minute, but first, I gotta tell you about my friends at Four Roses Bourbon who would like me to remind you that winning deserves a worthy reward and you should celebrate life's wins with Four Roses family of award-winning bourbons. Sit back, relax, take a sip, and savor the victory. Learn more at fourrosesbourbon.com. Be mellow. Be responsible, my friends. Now back to Patrick. Is your dad your hero?
1: Oh, yes, definitely. You know, like I said, all that he went through on just a few hours of sleep every night and going to classes and marching band and things like that, truly, truly a big hero of mine.
0: So are you you're still playing music, right? I mean you're still yes, are I you am. Yeah, tell me about are you are you traveling? Do you do travel performances or do you play with um the orchestra here? Like how does that work?
1: So after the marching band and my story started to spread, my dad and I were very blessed to travel and do motivational speaking throughout the country and even different parts of the world. And we've been blessed to as I said, travel pretty much throughout all the United States as well as to South America and Central America and Europe and Asia, sharing our stories of overcoming obstacles and being more than you think you can and looking at your perspective in life. And whenever we would do our speaking engagements, we'd always try to get a nice piano so that I could play some inspirational songs intermittently as we share our story and We're still doing that. Unfortunately, not really as much as we have been due to the uh, coronavirus pandemic and all, but uh, Mm -hmm. still enough to, to keep us busy. And then of course my dad and I also played together at a couple of churches throughout the Louisville area. I'll either play piano or sing or do trumpet. And so I'll always try to find a way to keep up with my musical ability.
0: Who are some of your favorite performers that you've got to play with?
1: Uh, Well, I was very blessed to sing on the Grand Ole Opry at one time with Pam Tillis, a country music singer who has been a good friend of mine and also with the country music band Lone Star. That was a a treat. Got to perform a couple of times with a country music singer named Brian White and uh, another one, Chad Brock and Faith Hill. Uh, So it's mostly been a lot of uh, country music singers that I've performed with, but truly a great bunch of people, very humble. Pretty much what you see is what you get, and they've they've all been absolutely wonderful. Even some of the non-country music singers that maybe I've met but haven't performed with, you know, everyone's been awesome.
0: Is country your favorite genre of music?
1: Yes, it is. I love um, all the, the new country and... Even even the older country going all the way back to as far back as the 1920s, that's always lots of fun. <laughs> and uh, I actually even do an internet radio show myself that's all about country music and fun facts and some of my favorite songs and things like
0: that. What uh, is the name of that show and, and where can people find that if they want to listen to that after listening to this?
1: It's called uh, Country Through the Years. And the website is 986themix.com. It's all one word. Mm-hmm. And I usually do a live stream of a new episode every Thursday afternoon at 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern. And then the website also has a podcast page that you can go on and check out some of my more recent episodes.
0: Nice. Good deal. Um, if you could jam with any artist, dead or alive, okay? Okay. If you could jam with any one artist, who would it be and why?
1: I would honestly have to say if I if I really had to pick one, and, and it's definitely a hard choice, it would be Johnny Cash. My grandfather first introduced me to him and to his music because he was a big fan of Johnny Cash, and I've always found that Johnny is just a great storyteller. There There have actually been a <laughs> couple of songs of his that I've actually had to start over from scratch when I first heard them just to make sure I paid close attention to the stories and it'd be great to to meet him and hear some of his travel stories firsthand. And of course, his faith in God and religion was also very inspirational. So yeah, that, that would have been cool if I'd have had the chance to meet him.
0: My grandpa introduced us to Johnny Cash when we were young too. I, I remember writing, we would go get Dunkin' Donuts and he would make us listen to Johnny Cash. And I remember him um, showing us A Boy Named Sue when I was really young. And that's that's <laughs> nice. still one of my favorite songs. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, so what, what happened with me is um, we were, my parents and I were actually on our way to, I think, have breakfast with my grandparents. And they were scanning the stations and They came across a station based out of Lexington and they were in the middle of Johnny Cash's Sunday morning coming down. (laughs) And I heard that song and loved it so much. And I knew that my grandfather was a big fan of Johnny Cash. So I asked him if he happened to have any of the Johnny Cash records with Sunday morning coming down on it. And, I swear, I think he brought me every single Johnny Cash record he possessed, and it was pretty much a love at first listen, so to speak.
0: (laughs) Hey, where does the phrase I Am Potential come from?
1: Well, uh, uh, it just—it comes from, of course, that's the title of the book that my dad and I uh, co-wrote together, as well as a movie that the book was made of, and basically just wants to show that it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from, if you set your mind to achieve a goal, then you can do it in life. And you know, when we started talking about the book, we wanted we didn't really want to make it a complete autobiography, so to speak. You know, I was born, I did this, I'm doing this now, next book in 20 years, or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. The the main goal for the book was to create eight life lessons that whether you read the book 30 years ago or are reading it now or will read it 30 years from now, those lessons will still be useful to you and give you the opportunity and the courage and the strength to realize and achieve your dreams if only you set your mind to it and keep the passion and be patient.
0: So what are some of the lessons that are in that book?
1: A couple of my favorites I'll share with you. Uh, One of them is when life hands you lemons, accept them and be grateful because truly we all have moments where we have our problems in life and we wonder, you know, why is this happening to us? And as I mentioned earlier, sometimes I face those problems and obstacles and challenges that I don't know how I'm going to get through. But all we have to do is look at the, just the little things that we have you know a roof over our head food on the table a nice warm bed to sleep in a good family and realize that there are millions of people in this world that would love to have just those things and you know just to be able to wake up and greet a new day is a blessing which leads me to another one of my favorite lessons in the book and that is to live each day like the last day of summer vacation. (laughs) And I mean, think about that last day of summer vacation, if you can. Think about how you lived that day. You knew that this was your last day of freedom, so to speak, before school was about to start. You had classes and homework and things like that. So you wanted to make sure that you got every ounce out of that day, out of that last day of summer vacation that you can. And honestly, that's how we should live each and every one of our days in life. Yesterday, that's come and gone. There's nothing that we can do about it. What happened happened, and we're not always guaranteed tomorrow. All we have is, and I know it seems like a lot, but it truly is just this one little bitty space one little bitty 24-hour space that makes up today. So treasure each moment of it and live it to the fullest.
0: A minute ago, you were talking about those feelings that everybody has them, right? Why is this happening to me? Why me? What did I do to deserve this, right? Um, it would be so easy for for you to do, or, or if anybody were to trade positions with you and be in your shoes, it would be so easy just to say, well, you know, you know, feel sorry for themselves. Um, but what, what what do you tell yourself when some of those woe is me feelings start to creep in? Like, how do you keep yourself above water?
1: You know, basically just remind myself of the, the many blessings that I have. As, as a matter of fact, I've actually been doing this for a couple of years or so. But whenever I say my prayers at night, I always try to look for, and it doesn't matter how bad a day might have been, how many things might have gone wrong. I always look for some things that truly made the day good and focus on those and, and count my blessings that I was able to enjoy those things.
0: Was it weird having a movie made about you? I mean, when, when you're like watching this thing and you're like, "That's my life, and that's, that's that, I did that. Like is that, I don't know, what's that like having a movie made about you?
1: Well, I wouldn't say weird, but it was definitely cool. And um, all the actors and actresses that were in the movie did an excellent job. I was actually able to go to the filming that took place a few times and witness some of it. And everyone did a great job and you was able to meet up with everyone and sort of tell them our stories so they knew what to do. And I actually had a Skype interview before the movie started filming with the guy who played me, who was a guy named Jimmy Bellinger, who's done a lot of stuff for Disney. And I don't know if you've seen, there's this one commercial where there's a young man in a park who's got Skittles pox and the girl comes up to him and Starts eating them off of him and things like that. Well, that's the same guy that played me in the movie. So, like I said, we did a, a yeah, we did a Skype interview, and um, he he picked up my mannerisms and my habits, and did a, did an excellent job. As did, like I said, everyone else that was a part of it.
0: So he studied you through Skype in order to play that role.
1: Skype, and then also you know we talked pretty regularly when I went on my trips to watch the filming and things like that. So
0: Yeah, I was gonna say if, if you did that just virtually, that, that would seem pretty pretty difficult to do, but but uh, if you spent time on set and everything, I'm sure it probably was easier to kind of learn your manners and some stuff like that. I was gonna say if if he did that all through Skype, that's pretty amazing.
1: <laughs> I know, right?
0: But,
1: yeah. Yeah. Had some great interaction with everybody.
0: Um so what uh, what's left on your bucket list? I mean, do, do you have a bucket list and, and what are some of the things that like you, you have to do before you check out?
1: Uh, well, I'm actually very happy to report that I'm very happily engaged now to my beautiful fiance, Jessica Carter. Hey,
0: congratulations. And
1: thank you very much. And we're looking forward to getting married this coming May. So that's always something that I've wanted to be able to get married and perhaps have a family and, and things of that nature will be absolutely excellent and looking forward to that. And then a lot of people are surprised to hear, of course, they hear all the stories about my music and I go to places and play piano and trumpet, and things like that. So one would naturally assume that in college, I majored in music. But to tell the truth, I was actually a Spanish major And as a matter of fact, tested out of two years of Spanish and entered my freshman year taking junior and senior, or junior level Spanish classes. So perhaps maybe use the Spanish career to, or the Spanish degree to pursue a career as a Spanish interpreter and eventually an international ambassador to a Spanish speaking country. But probably my true dream job, I really want to be a TV game show host.
0: Really? Okay, because you you uh, spent some time on Family Feud, right?
1: Oh yes, got to go on Family Feud and get an opportunity to meet my man Steve Harvey. <laughs> Played for a lot of cash and a shot at a brand new fuel efficient Ford Fusion. <laughs> and yeah, my parents and my brothers and I did that and had an awesome time.
0: And you guys, uh, you almost made it through a full week, right?
1: Uh, pretty much, we actually won, won three games and lost three games. Uh, we auditioned, we played first in 2012 and lost that game, but they discovered a glitch and invited us back. So we came back the next year and played and won three games and won a little bit of money and got a chance to play for the car because they actually counted our loss as one of the required games in order to let us play for the car. And so we played for the car, and we lost, and they found another question that was worded unfairly, so I asked if we'd come back to play again, and we played again for the car. But once again, we lost, And but, but still, we had a great time, great activity to do with my parents and my brothers and me, and truly an awesome experience.
0: Is it different, or was it different for for you being in front of like going from being in front of like fifty thousand fans doing doing marching band stuff, and then being in front of a live studio audience, um, was that nerve wracking at all? Or since you were so used to kind of being in front of crowds, were you just kind of like, uh, I got this. This is easy.
1: Well, the crowds weren't so bad, but admittedly, you know, I was a little nervous throughout gameplay because you know y- you want to do well, you want to win, and maybe come back and play again the the next day or the next game or whatever the case may be. So, you know, you're all all a little nervous. And then of course Steve's always cutting up and making jokes and things like that. So while he's sitting there doing that, you have difficulty concentrating on the question and concentrating on your answer. And it actually takes like an hour and a half to film just 17 or 18 minutes worth of TV. So you know there's a lot of like I said, the jokes and the talking and things like that that you don't see. So. Mm-hmm. But still, it's, it's lots of fun. If you ever have the opportunity to, to do it, then by golly, make it happen.
0: <laughs> Where are some of the coolest places that your speaking or, or your music playing has taken you over the world?
1: Being here with Ben Tompkins,
0: <laughs> what an answer! Oh, what an answer! <laughs> All right, now where else? Where? <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's
1: really kind of really kind of hard to say because there've been so many great ones. Of course, I, I was really fond of of Italy, and Spain was really cool. Uh, probably one of the the coolest things was about four years ago. I was actually blessed to spend three weeks in London and perform and make a video for the 2016 paralympics which i think is still available on youtube Uh, it's called we're the superhumans and it basically shows paralympic athletes doing their thing as well as uh i was part of a swing band that uh featured a lot of people with different abilities as i like to put it and we actually were very blessed not only during the the filming but to record the song that we played at abbey road studios so that was a really neat experience
0: um i heard you just there mention abilities and i and i saw a previous interview and and kind of doing some research for for this one where um you kind of have a a perspective on abilities versus disabilities so could you tell me a little bit about that
1: yes a lot of people have asked me how i would describe my quote-unquote disabilities and I always say not disabilities at all, but more abilities. And as a matter of fact, I actually see blindness more as the ability and sight more as the disability, because unfortunately there are there are some people with sight who look at a person and make judgments based on their outward appearances, you know, skin, skin color or hair color, hair length, hairstyle, the clothing that they wear, but, being blind, I don't see those things. My my first uh, judgment, so to speak, is based on what's within a person,
0: uh, which is how it should be. Um, and yeah, I, I like that. That's 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 good stuff. Um, what do, what what are some of the things that you talk about when you know you give some of your your public speaking engagements and you're talking to people about? You know, developing a healthy mindset or or keeping things into perspective. What are some of those tips that you share with people?
1: Well, you know we talk about um, overcoming obstacles, and my my dad usually tells the story of when I was born carrying my well, my bag of lemons, so to speak, and how basically they always or they they buried the dreams that they'd had for me. As a matter of fact, a story that Dad always likes to tell. That's, that's kind of cool is, you know, he was 26 at the time that I was born. And his big dream was that I would become a star on a football field at a large university. And of course, when I was born the way I was, he buried that dream because he was thinking I would, you know, kick the game winning field goal or catch the game winning touchdown, things like that. And then, like I said, I was born the way I was and he buried those dreams. Well, eventually the whole marching band thing happened. And in ways that he never dreamed of, I became a star on a football field at a large university. And, and I'll talk about you know, some of my, my heroes, for example, another one of my favorite musicians, uh, not really well known in the country music genre, but someone that really inspires me, is Ray Charles, who being blind and African-American at the time that he was, you know, that was pretty much two strikes against him. And so he had a lot of obstacles and challenges to face, but he faced them and in the end, you know, fought them and, you know, had his had his bumps in the road, so to speak, but overcame them and became truly one of the greatest and most well-known and loved musicians of all time. And, So all I have to do is look at what he went through and realize that his obstacles and challenges make mine seem like no big deal whatsoever. And then another thing I always talk about is whenever I'm faced with a challenge or an obstacle that I don't know how I'm gonna get through, I have a great acronym that helps me out. It's the first three letters of my name, P-A-T, PAT. The P is Passion, Patience and Perseverance because in order to achieve a goal, you've gotta have a passion for that goal and be patient. It might take a while for your goal to work, so you've gotta persevere, keep trying and don't give up. The A is ability and attitude. Use the abilities you know you have and always keep a positive attitude because well, that's the only way your goal's going to work. And finally, the T is trust. Trust in yourself. You will achieve your goal eventually.
0: Man, that's good stuff. I love that. That's awesome. I, uh, it's good. I, I, I love this kind of stuff. So um, I, I could, just a couple more questions here, okay? I, I want to ask, what do you want people to take away from your story?
1: I guess the, the main thing I'd like people to take away is no matter what, life is truly a blessing. Sure, we have our, our obstacles and challenges and things like that that it hands us. But when you look at the big picture, life itself is truly a beautiful thing, so we must enjoy it and live every moment to the fullest and count all all our blessings and look at all the good things that are happening. And always remember, if you're ever faced with an obstacle or a challenge that you look at and you think, oh my gosh, I just don't know how I'm going to get through it. Just remember, if you set your mind to achieving that goal, you can do it
0: honestly I, I have another question but I, I don't think that we're gonna be able to top that that's a really good stopping point that was awesome man this has been awesome and uh, I'm so glad that um I'm so glad that you agreed to do this and that we could find some time to sit down and I hope that um, if, if one person hears this walks away feeling inspired or empowered then then uh, you know ultimately well, we 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 succeeded right I mean we succeeded definitely.
1: Definitely. And it was definitely a pleasure to, to be with you as well.
0: How about that? You guys like that one? Patrick had a really cool story. Really, really inspiring. I loved the PAT acronym. He broke down for us right there at the end. I thought that was really interesting what he was saying about sight actually being a disability for some people. and it, And it certainly is, let me tell you. But man, he was awesome. So The next time you're kind of dragging, procrastinating, feeling sorry for yourself, it's human, okay? I'm not here to beat you up too bad about it. Everybody does it. I do it, you know. Uh, You do it. Well, let's be honest about it, okay? But just try and remember that there are people with far more difficult circumstances and have had to overcome far more despite having far less. And remember how trivial those things seem in the grand scheme of things. Ask yourself, Would I complain about this in front of someone like a Patrick or am I just taking pity on myself and seeking that little pat on the shoulder that acknowledges life ain't always easy, baby? Because I'm here to tell you it's not always easy, okay? But if you can just stay in the fight and keep pushing forward and keep listening to this podcast and developing some ways to overcome your challenges, you'll be golden, my friends. All right, get out of here. Have a great Thursday, finish the week strong, and I will talk to you guys next week. I am Ben Tompkins, that is Real Talk.